from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Getting higher yields. So the analogy is the plant grows more efficiently and does a better job of making yield versus just growing, say, as tall as it wants to grow. It goes beyond sun, water, and inputs. See some farmer's recipe for high yields. One big meat packer is issuing bonuses. See how much? As snow and heavy rains bring treacherous conditions on the roads. But also welcome drought relief right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. It's a promising start to the season for Western farmers in terms of moisture. Recent rains and heavy snow are finally providing some much needed moisture to the area heavily impacted by drought. This video from UC Berkeley's Central Sierra Snow Lab reporting one recent storm brought 29 inches of snow and the area saw more than 48 inches of snow over a seven day period. And all of that snow really adds up. Check out these numbers. According to California's Department of Water Resources, the northern Sierra snowpack is 165% of normal through Wednesday. As for the central Sierra snowpack, it sits at 166%, and the southern snowpack is 213% of normal. Now, USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says, all told, that's an average water equivalency of about six and a half inches. And that's close to one quarter of the average snowpack total of 30 inches needed by April 1st to reach a normal water equivalency for runoff into streams and reservoirs. That is about 175% of average for early December. So you can see we're off to a good start, but we need to sustain that storminess moving forward to make up that other three quarters that we expect to receive by the time we get to April 1st. Rippy adds the stormy pattern needs to be sustained through the winter to counter the impacts of three straight years of drought. Now last December, California's snowpack was at 157% of average, which was then followed by the driest January to March on record. And it looks like more snow will be added to those totals this week in the West, along with rain for the central part of the country. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with the latest he's tracking. We are going to continue to track you this extensive uh, snowfall pack that's going to continue to grow here across parts of the Sierra Mountains. In some locations, they're going to measure the snowfall in multiple feet. We're talking here from two to four feet of snow that could be falling there across the parts of the Sierra Mountains, which is very good news there uh, for parts of uh, eastern and parts of northern uh, California. And we're even going to continue to track more snowfall even across parts of the Intermountain West as well from Idaho, Montana, all the way down into parts of uh, Utah as well uh, with the potential for uh, several inches of snowfall here as we round out this week and going forward all the way through the weekend. And this is why let's walk you through the jet stream here. As we watch off the western coast there, notice that dip that is out to sea. And once that comes on shore, that's that trough that's going to develop and that's going to increase the uh, snowpack chances and even some rain chances as well for much of the western coast to quiet along the eastern coast before that trough begins to kind of work its way across the central heart of the country here as we head towards the middle portion of next week, and that will certainly increase rain chances. What we're watching on the menu for today, we're going to be watching a strengthening low pressure system coming out of the four corner states. That's going to increase rain shower chances here across the parts of the southern plains, the parts of the south, and eventually up across parts of the Midwest and Great Lakes states. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. 
Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. And check in the yields in the fields. This video is sure to yield some chills. Check out the 30 knot winds at Allen Hills area of Antarctica. This video from the Center of Oldest Ice Exploration. Researchers say their ice cores up to 2.7 million years old have been found there. I'll more in your Ag Day forecast in just a few. An update to a story we first brought you last month about a slaughterhouse sanitation company accused of having dozens of children, some as young as 13, working overnight shifts at food processing plants. A federal judge is ordering Packers Sanitation Services to ensure it is complying with child labor laws. It comes after investigators say they have now identified at least 50 miners were employed to clean the killing floor along with meat and bone cutting saws. They say they were working at five different meat packing plants in three states. The company also entering into an agreement with the Labor Department. Now as part of that, it promised to hire an outside consultant to review its hiring policies and provide additional training for its managers. The company saying it already does what the government recommends to verify the age of its employees, but has agreed to take these additional steps to ensure compliance. And more court action involving agriculture. The former CEO of a Mississippi grain storage and processing company has now been indicted on both federal and state charges. The charges are against 46-year-old John R. Coleman of Greenwood, Mississippi. They come more than a year after Coleman's company Express Grain Terminals filed for bankruptcy. A federal grand jury indicted Coleman on charges of defrauding farmers, banks, and the Mississippi Department of Agriculture. Coleman made his initial appearance Tuesday in federal court in Greenville. He faces five state charges, including making false representations to defraud the government and one count of false pretenses. And he faces six counts of wire fraud in the federal indictment. Coleman has entered a plea of not guilty. Now, if convicted, he faces a maximum of 180 years in prison. The legal back and forth over a USDA program to pay off minority farmers' government loans continues. Now, a class action lawsuit has been filed against USDA. It says the government has broken a promise to pay off debts for farmers of color and wants the funding restored. USDA dropped the pandemic era program after several lawsuits by women and white farmers filed legal challenges. Since dropping the proposal, the Ag Department has announced other programs to help socially disadvantaged farmers. However, plaintiffs in this case say those new programs don't match the agency's earlier promise to pay off 120% of government debt. The recipe for high yields on Ag Day is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide, raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. See how Tendovo delivers weed control without compromise at SyngentaUS.com backslash Tendovo. Now that the combines are in the machine shed for the winter, farmers are looking ahead to the 2023 season. Ag Day's Michelle Rook looks at some of the things they should consider as part of a recipe for high yields. National Corn Growers Association Yield Contest winner Kelly Garrett is disappointed if average corn yields on his farm don't hit 400 bushel irrigated and 235 dry land. And the recipe for his high yields is a long one. A very much attention to detail. There isn't one silver bullet at all. You're, there's 10 or 12 or 15 things that you need to do correctly. On corn, it would be foliar applications, uh, hybrid selection, uh, PGRs, plant growth regulators, you know, things like that, variable rate applications of things. 
In fact, the Dennis and Iowa farmer says plant growth regulators are a huge part of his success for both corn and beans. So the analogy is the plant grows more efficiently and does a better job of making yield versus just growing, say, as tall as it wants to grow. He also recommends farmers have the water tested on their farm. Checking their water, the pH of your water. Is your water hard with iron and magnesium, things like that, that's tying up your chemicals, your fungicide, or your foliar applications of things. Plus, he recommends biologicals to help corn more efficiently use the nutrients available to add yield. Another piece, you know, when I said 12 or 15 things you need to do, biologicals are a big deal. And it takes research to understand which ones work in your area and which ones don't, but it's something that everyone needs to pay attention to. Soybean farmers are also using biologicals, and research is showing soil fertility is a big factor in boosting yields, including micronutrients like sulfur, but also macronutrients like nitrogen. Adding nitrogen to in your high soy, high yield soybean areas, where maybe you're yielding more more yield than the nodulation can keep up and provide that nitrogen, uh, could have an impact. Weed control also tops the list of yield robbers, especially with the growing number of resistant weeds. So looking at that integrated approach of making sure we do pre's and posts, and we're rotating our our treatments, our our uh, control mechanisms. And then adding new ones in, like cover crops, like uh, 15 inch rows instead of 30 to, to, get, to get canopy quicker. But probably the most silent and costly soybean yield robber is soybean cyst nematode. Estimates are consistently around $1.5 billion, that's billion with a B, annually. The first step is detection and determining the populations through a soil test, and then farmers are using a three-pronged approach to combat SCN, including rotation to a non-host crop. So corn is our best tool to lower numbers. Resistant soybeans will keep numbers in check, ideally. And then the new tool in the toolbox, and I say new, it's probably been 10, 12 years now, is seed treatments. And whether farmers use some or all of these tips in their agronomic plans for 2023, it will improve their recipe for higher yields. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks Michelle. Now she'll be right back to check on Wednesday's trade and see whether soybeans held on to another day of gains. And later, the shortage of large animal veterinarians is getting serious. We'll tell you about the latest data straight ahead. The NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Grain markets bounce higher on weather and changes to China's COVID policy. Michelle Rook returns with a closer look at markets now. Wednesday's market closes higher in the grains. Chuck Shelby Risk Management Commodities is joining us and Chuck, uh, Nice to see some green on the board, but let's talk about soybeans. It's been a meal-led rally, South American weather. Argentina has been a concern. Can we keep going here, though, I think is the big question. I, I think without a weather pattern change of significance in Argentina, the market will continue to work higher. Uh, I think there's some levels up above technically that we'll try to obtain. And the big question to me is, can we go through $15 and sustain that? So. Uh, right now, I'd say we're on a positive trend. I think the weather continues to be dry. So I, I think we're going to challenge $15. We'll see if we can break through. Yeah. How much more weather premium do you think we need to put in? Argentina's crop is certainly a much smaller portion of South America versus Brazil. Uh, that's where $15 becomes kind of a benchmark. And 
I, I think we could run out of steam there from the perspective of farmer selling. And another thing I'm looking forward to, though, as we look at Argentinian weather is eventually, if it stays this dry, I think it will impact corn price, too, because they're the third biggest exporter in the world of corn. Uh, I think the market's just waiting. If we got closer to pollination time and we still see drought conditions in Argentina, I think we could see some buying over in the corn market. Yeah, we certainly don't have much South American weather premium in the corn market right now. And of course, wheat has been problematic for the corn market, but we did see a bounce on Wednesday in both corn and wheat. Are the funds done selling there? Can we bounce now? It's one thing about the funds. I mean, they always reverse their positions. You know, they tend to overdo it, whether it be up or down in our markets. So it, it just seems like they've uh, fooled a lot of people as far as what they intended to do. And they have overdone it in, in the wheat market. Then I, I think, you know, there's going to be short covering rally. Uh, the end of the year is coming up. So the funds like to balance up there, take their profits. So it seems logical over in wheat, as much as they sold it off, that we should be able to maintain some kind of rally in the next week or two. Is some of this a little squaring before we go into that WASD on Friday or not? No, I don't think so. Generally, this report isn't that uh, big of a market mover. And, and we've seen a lot of movement in our markets in the last uh, three, four, five days. So uh, I think the market's not going to react much to uh, position squaring as it normally might have. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, that's Chuck Shelby, Risk Management Commodities. We have more Ag Day coming up. Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joining us here taking a look at our national forecast and we want to start right there in the middle of the country with looks like a pretty big system of rain. Yeah, we're going to be dealing with this nice low pressure system that's going to bring with it a steady rain to parts of the plains, uh, deep south, as well as parts of the Midwest. And eventually on the northern side of this, we're going to get some snowfall as far north as uh, the Twin Cities up into Minneapolis, as well as even up into the upper peninsula of Michigan. They're going to tap into some of that light snow as well. And we'll continue to watch again this uh, deepening low pressure system that's going to bring with it a nice steady rainfall and even some light snow to portions of the upper portions here of the Midwestern states. This high pressure that is down across the four corners now that will begin to leave as we continue to watch a trough system developing along the uh, Pacific Northwest. It's going to increase rain chances and again snow for the Intermountain West and across the uh, Sierra Mountains as well. Take a look at the precipitation over the next uh, 10 days with that uh, low pressure system across the Midwest, Deep South and across parts of the Plain States and Great Lakes States. That's going to bring with it for uh, several chances of moisture anywhere from a half inch to one to two plus inches of rainfall and then off across the western coast, especially in areas again across the Sierras uh, where we do get some of that snowfall. We're going to be looking at uh, rainfall at, or at least water rates upwards of around two to four plus inches of rain, uh, which is very good news uh, for parts of uh, California. Walking through the snowfall estimate here with that low pressure system. Again, we are going to be watching at least a wintry side on the northern side of that here as we go into a late Thursday, Friday and even into uh, parts of Saturday where we could be looking at a shovelable amount of snow for parts of uh, South Dakota and even across parts of at least uh, southern uh, Minnesota and the northern half of Wisconsin. Meanwhile, we continue to again uh, zoom in here across parts of the Sierra uh, where we could be looking at the uh, snowfall rates upwards of around two to four feet of snowfall in spots here 
as we go throughout this upcoming weekend and to start off next week. Let's walk you through the future radar projection here as we go throughout Thursday afternoon. We'll be watching again this low pressure system continue to bring ongoing shower chances. There's on the north side of that a little bit of snow as well. High pressure will build in on the back side of this system, moving this system across parts of the New England coastline here. Meanwhile, again, we'll keep watching this cold front moving on through parts of the Pacific Northwest, and that will increase rain chances as we go across uh, the next uh, several days and even snow chances out west. Temperatures this afternoon cold up north mild down to the south to go from 32 in Minneapolis down to 76 down into New Orleans. Let's look around the country. Now let's take a look at your select Ag Day cities. Going on over to Johnsboro, Arkansas. Periods of showers high 64 degrees. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, mostly cloudy. Chance of a wintry mix developing late in the day. High temperature 31 degrees and going over to Washington, snow showers possible high 33. More than 90,000 hourly employees at Tyson Foods are getting year-end bonuses. Drovers reporting they range anywhere from $300 to $700. Tyson saying it wants to recognize their success together and say thank you. The company adding it will also offer flexible work schedules at some facilities, along with new expanded benefits, services, and resources for all U.S. employees starting next year. And it says with an average hourly pay of around $19 an hour, Plus benefits, the average total compensation is around $24 an hour or $50,000 a year. And a new report says the U.S. is facing an alarming shortfall of veterinarians to treat livestock and poultry in rural areas. The report was commissioned by Farm Journal Foundation. Now Farm Journal is the parent company of Ag Day. The report says the lack of livestock animal vets threatens public health, food safety, and economic growth in communities that depend on ag. Today, only about 3 to 4% of new veterinarian school graduates pursue livestock or other food animal practice areas. That's a stark decline from 40 years ago when about 40% of graduates specialized in this area. The report says the shortages stem from several factors, including high levels of educational debt that have outpaced potential earnings. If your eyes aren't frozen shut, you might just enjoy seeing this next story. New data that calls out favorite Christmas movies by state is next. We'll see if you agree in the country. And you still have time to sign up for the Case IH holiday giveaway. One lucky winner will be drawn each day from Monday, December 19th through Friday, December 23rd. We'll announce those winners right here on Ag Day. Now, those winners will receive a Case IH prize pack. Then the grand prize winner will be announced on U.S. Farm Report on Christmas Eve, they'll win a Farm All Seed Pedal Tractor. To enter, head over to the website on your screen, KSIHHolidayGiveaway.com. In these days before Christmas, many people like to watch their favorite holiday movie. So what is the top Christmas movie in the country? Apparently one film is a favorite for nearly 80% of the nation, and that film is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The state-by-state -state breakdown compiled by Wishlisted, which says it turned to Google Trends to help take a deep dive into what people search for. The film in each state with the highest average interest over time won. Now it says, in fact, Iowa is the most obsessed with Christmas Vacation. Other tops include Edward Scissorhands, Gremlins, 
Familiar favorites like It's a Wonderful Life, Love Actually, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Die Hard also made the list, which as you know is controversial since we still can't decide if it's even a Christmas movie. So what do you think of the list? What is your favorite Christmas movie? To share your thoughts, head over to the Ag Day Facebook page and look for this story. By the way, I think this list is spot on. Christmas Vacation is the best Christmas movie. And that's all the time we have this morning. I'm sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Quentin Griffiths. Have a great day. I'm Farm Country.